Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we're going to talk about gamification and how it might relate to story, what it might teach us about story, why it's such an exciting pedagogical technique. But first, what are you working on? So I am, shockingly, I am revising. And, um, you know, I just friggin' do like this. It, this is, this keeps coming up. I feel Revising? Like, you yeah, like revising? I do. It's, it's, I mean, I like everything about writing, you know, except waiting. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's been really fun to, you know, and, and I've been getting a little bit of feedback, work, reworking the opening. Um, I feel optimistic about the changes that I'm making. And, um, yeah, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. And so what's happening now is I made these sort of significant changes that are reflected in the opening. And I actually read the opening at Debbie Lascar's Debbie S. Lascar's book launch for the paperback edition of the Atlas of Reds and Blues the other week. And um, it went, that went well. And um, so this new opening, and now I'm massaging it through the rest of the book, just seeing what has to change. And how about you? Well, I am working on a variety of things, but one of the things I'm looking at right now is gamifying a classroom. So what kind of a classroom? A math classroom. What grade level? Middle school. So seven and eight right now. All right. So let's first clarify what gamification is. This new hot term, or maybe it's not so new. You had this it whole Harry n- Potter yeah, theory. It's not new in the sense that... Um, Explain the Harry Potter theory of gamification. So each, so Harry Potter's houses, like she didn't just make that up. That's part of a lot of British school systems. Um, Hogwarts. Having. I mean, not Hogwarts. uh, Having houses. So it's called the house system. And so literally. Like Slytherin and. Right. So you have these sort of sub groups within your school. So everybody went to Hogwarts in the most famous case. But within that, you were either in Slytherin or Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, which a lot of people somehow take offense to being like, oh, you would have been in Hufflepuff. Uh, It just means you're loyal, which I think is good. And (laughs) you saying you would have been in Hufflepuff? Yes. And Ravenclaw. So you have all these different things. And I think with with that one, there are kind of personality traits that she put in there. I don't think they do that in the house system in general. Okay, but what you're saying is that this piece of fantasy, mm-hmm. worldwide famous fantasy, is drawn on the British... An existing house system school of education. System. Right? And with, so we're with points and all of that. Do you think that... Right. You so know you that can, that's all in there? Yeah. So houses can compete against each other and earn points for things like uh, sports competitions, academic competitions, different pieces like that. So... The truth is the entire world of Harry Potter is gamified. When you think about their education and you think about you know, Snape unfairly taking away points from Gryffindor and McGonagall, you know, coming in and making these pronouncements, the only real difference was that there was an easy way for them to keep track of it because it was magic. What do you mean? Well, you know, they would make the statement and then, you know, the... Not thermometers, but the things that sort of showed oh. where the points were for each house kind of magically. Do you wish that yours would do that? Yeah, because right now I have to do a lot of 
twiddling of my thumbs. Inputting. Inputting (laughs) Inputting of information. (laughs) I like twiddling of your thumbs. So, all right. So why, what drew you to gamification? What are the advantages of gamification? Well, what's interesting to me is there's a number of things. Uh, The kids are really excited about things like outfits and pets, like winning virtual things that have no value in real life. Imaginary value, though. I mean, imagination. This is imagination. This is creating characters. This is creating. Right. So they start with setting, a character. world building. Yes. This is where we start to see the overlap. Right. And so we're exploring with a company called Classcraft right now. And so we've been trying that. At and we're the getting no money from them. In fact, we're paying them, but we'll put a link anyway. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, they're developed, they have a platform to help you sort of keep track of those things. But the things that are sort of interesting is that it allows you to attach story to to learning things that are often abstract. So I might be talking to students about multiplication of fractions, right? And we have a wonderful curriculum that does a nice job of tying it to the visuals of using a rectangle in area, okay? So multiplication of fractions, you make sort of the base of the one fraction, one direction. You make the base of another fraction, the other direction. So you kind of color them in. And the places where they overlap is the answer. It shows you, you get the sense of the area. So like today, for example, we worked through a problem with sevenths and fifths. So we broke a rectangle into fifths horizontally and we colored in three of them. And then we broke the... uh, same rectangle that had been colored in with fifths into sevenths, but vertically. And I think we had six sevenths, right? So then we colored in six sevenths. And so where they were colored in both Mm -hmm. styles, so you didn't, you Mm -hmm. wouldn't use the same style, was the overall answer. So it ends up being 1835ths. Wow, that doesn't does not intuitively make sense to me because it feels like you you're just setting up different designs. Like if you set up a different design, it would have a different overlap. No, you're you're are you geometrically dividing it so that it's actually divided? Yes. So you draw a picture. You don't actually separate it. It's one unit yeah. and it's a, a rectangle. Okay. And then you make the fifths. Right? right. Right. So anyway, so that's a great visual way to approach it. And now with gamification, you can say you've come to a cave where you must solve this riddle in order to continue on your quest. And you watch, you know, kids want to take on work that they would, might normally balk at to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to watch. It's really interesting to see, like, some of the kids are really taking it and really, like, they might be focused on the outfits, a lot, <laughs> but it's getting them to engage with the work. And, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do is how do I bring their voices into the gamification of the project? How do I help? How do I have leaders in the class have the opportunity to sort of model writing a quest and then opening it up to like younger students? So, mm. so. All right. So this sort of goes, circles back to this idea of being wired for story, which mm-hmm. is the title of a book by Lisa Cron, but also th- sort of this conceptual idea that neurologists have put forth that she draws upon, that human beings are wired for story. So are you sort of seeing that at play here? Well, it's hard to say because you are also including 
absolute basic behavioral reinforcement. Which are rewards. Right. But that's part of story. I mean, whether I'm not saying which is the chicken and which is the egg, but but motive, right? And kind of reward and drive and all of those things that are behind kind of a, a basic behaviorism mm-hmm. are also behind story, aren't they? So let's say you've got a rat in a maze. Let's say you've got a dog and a bell. All right. And you, the dog rings the bell and they get, or no, you ring the bell and you feed the dog. What's mm-hmm. that? What's the whole thing? Mm-hmm. All right. So um, this is Pavlov. Right. All right. So give me the, what is the Pavlovian thing? You ring the bell, you feed the dog. You ring the bell, you feed the dog. When Now when you ring the bell, the dog salivates. Mm-hmm. So one, it's setting expectation. Mm-hmm. It's setting, it's doing setups and payoffs. Absolutely. With motive and reward. Mm-hmm. And um, and all of those are key elements of story. And in some ways, okay, so I've been thinking a lot about simplification. And that's the big move of this draft that I'm doing is to just simplify. Sim- I mean, it's been each draft has gotten simpler and simpler in certain <laughs> ways. It's not a simplistic book or anything. But um, so there's a way and we there's a way in which simplicity is part of this in a way. In, in other words, a simplicity of reward, a simplicity of motive, a, a simplicity Absolutely. of cause and effect. And a clear goal. Yeah. Right? So I think one of the things that's hard is we pick this up mid-year. So if we launch it next year, we're piloting now, if we launch it next year, we would want to actually hit the road with a clear year-long quest. Yeah. And these sub-quests would be things along the way. And some people, you know, they'll make a quest and it's so not engaging like some people will make this quest and it'll be like and do your homework you know and you're just sort of like well that doesn't really so you're it's like, interesting we're already I don't on think, that quest i don't think you know if if rewards and punishments alone were sufficient in motivating students then grades would be enough <laughs> so let's talk about motive for a moment here in, in yeah. story and also in in human beings and gamification so what does motivate people slash characters? That's a very broad question. <laughs> well, let's start with these kids in middle school gamification. So what what do you, so you, I mean, pets and outfits, why, do you have any sense of why those well, things? they are creating an identity, you know? Okay. And so what they're doing is, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they have roughly four kids per team and they're supposed to diversify the team. So you'll have a healer and a mage and a warrior and whatever the other one is, maybe a wizard. Yes. And so many of them only wanted to be like a warrior or a mage. I would want to be a wizard. Right. But I'm just saying, like, so many of them were like, had this very narrow sense of what they wanted to be. And I think really, you know, you see them, these are kind of spectacular images of their, these characters. I would love to see much more in the way of individual expression okay you know from this platform because it doesn't allow so much but allows some and at the same time like you can train pets you can do these things so you're you're building on your social capital within a really safe environment but i think that with if you separate it out why are these kids interested in doing these kinds of things i think one in the same way that there's a deep satisfaction to doing something and being able to say you're done with it, that's very exciting. Um, and I think that what motivates them 
is really, well, I think for the kids, I think it's being caught doing things right. Mm. Because it's a lot easier to do that when you have these kinds of situations. Like if you feel disengaged from the work or what you're being asked to do is to sit quietly, which is not your native Mm. MO, and then you have to do this work that maybe you don't understand 100%, but it's going to be like awkward if you raise your hand and say, I don't know this. You now have an environment where your teacher's able to say to you, hey, great work today. I really appreciated this in a super fast and also private way. Mm. Right. So I think that there's times when you're like, you don't want people to know you're not cool being seen <laughs> by the teacher. Um, and the within the context of this game, you can gain experience points, which helps help you level up by engaging in certain behaviors, including raising your hand. Including asking questions, including sharing your thinking, including helping someone else. You know, so there's all these ways that you can do this. And I think you get a sense of achievement um, when you're seen and responded to in a fairly real time way. Where I think in classrooms, you're often just sitting there waiting to find out if the thing that you don't feel that interested in was done correctly. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, again, circling back to story, but thinking about reading, you know, there's all the vicarious dangers and all of that. But really, ultimately, there's this vicarious achievement. Absolutely. Right? Well, this makes me think about um, Lindsay Doran again. Okay. And I want to go back because I'm not remembering. You know, she has those wonderful three rules for how she decides what to engage with, what yes. to take on. For three rules for story. Mm-hmm. But for the, producing. For her, she's a, a producer. producer right? So one so is. It has to be enter- arresting, to entertaining the- and arresting to the drunk. It should say something about uh, how we should be. And it should say something about the, how the world works. Right. So we have these three kind of components. But beyond that, she also talks about her real big TED talk is actually, that's only like part of it. The other part of it is like. We actually aren't interested in achievement in quite the way we think. So we always think of happy endings and what we're having is is seeing people get things or Mm -hmm. seeing them achieve things. And that's not actually what we're excited about in story. We're actually excited about growth. And I think that is also something when someone is being seen and recognized they can look back and see their growth. Right. And that's huge. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, and you can see that in story, that it is absolutely not, here's a character who we know can do this, and what how satisfying to watch them do it, uh, <laughs> even if there are obstacles, right? I mean, so even if there are obstacles. Well, and that's sort of interesting because there are these, the flatter characters where they sort of, they're this person, they ride into town, they do this thing, but... But they at least have to learn on an informational level, if not on a character level, right? Mm-hmm. In order for those the overcoming of, of those obstacles to be difficult. Mm-hmm. And, and then Matt Bird has that wonderful thing about something should not just be uh, hard to do, but hard to want to do, which right. I think is also where it connects with character. So I would say that I think gamification intersects with narrative around that visible growth, that we understand whether or not it happened, right? And I would mm-hmm. say, like, uh, a game where you, imagine a game where you died and that was it. Life. Well, <laughs> we think. You don't know. But if we had a game where you couldn't come back to life, you have five lives and then boom, that's it. 
Like, people wouldn't play that game. Right. Because every time you take on a level, you're doing something you couldn't do before you took on that level. Although, well, like Tetris, I mean, you have a certain amount of failure before you're going to die. And then you restart it. You, you, you have to compulsively. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, not all games are sort of designed in, in that particular way, mm-hmm. but a lot of games really are, especially the ones that you are going to pay big money for, right? So you're going to buy and play. You don't lose all of your progress, right? You mm-hmm. need to start back over at some level. Um, people don't like having to start at zero when, in fact, they have grown, right? So... And how, I mean, so how much do you think growth excites the students and why does the storification of growth or the gamification of growth. Storification. Storification, making it a story, right? Yeah. Why is that more exciting than your grade? I'm not sure that people always understand what they need to do to achieve a grade or to be seen as having grown. And it's really interesting to me when we look at how grades are dealt with and the fact that in the state of California, you now, schools are now assessed not just by how well they do things, but how much they've improved. And the truth is you could get a good score as a California school and still not be doing everything well, Mm. but you get more recognition for the improvement And we don't actually do that in grades. We say like, oh, have you mastered this content? Mm -hmm. Not you came in at this level and you're leaving at this level. You came in being afraid to ask questions and willing to fail. And you left with a C average, but now you know how to ask questions and you're speaking up and being proactive. What grade should we really be applying to that? Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, and this is this is hard because you, you want to get students who are engaged and growing and mm-hmm. improving. And d- do you also need to get them to a certain place by the end of the year because well, of the way that the structure is? One of the things I love is so there's I think it's the University of Michigan. So I was looking at a paper. Woman, none of this am I remembering the exact <laughs> details, and I will see if I can get it for the show notes. But there's a woman who is was working, and I think she was connected with Joe Bowler, around gamification, not just offering like this kind of thing where we're like, oh, you can be a fantasy person as though that's the only way to gamify because Mm -hmm. it isn't. But having a syllabus that provides students multiple ways to succeed. And so there's a syllabus they have where they talk about here are like four different ways that you can get an A, mm. right? For someone who is really good at writing really long papers, that might be the thing that they really want to do. They want to dig into the content and do a lengthy project. And for someone else, a series of short projects that allows them to iterate, you know, and to gain understanding over time is going to be a better approach. So why do we set up such systems of assessment Mm -hmm. that say there's only one way for you to express this. Mm -hmm. And so gamification actually opens up and says, in order for you to get an A, you need this many points. Here are all the ways you can get points. Mm. And it's up to you 
mm-hmm. to find out how you're going to get them. And in story, a character is both working with their strengths, learning what their real strengths are, right? Like often mm-hmm. often yeah, yeah. they've misassessed what they need versus what they want and where, where they're skilled and where they're Very not. Very classic misunderstanding, what yeah. I want versus what I need. Right, that. But even also what are my strengths, who am I? Like all of those mm-hmm. things are kind of at play in story. And we're going to see a character both dig into their area of strength and, and learn what it is and, and shine, but may, but also grow and become more adept in some other area or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, and those, I guess are our educational goals as well. Hard to say what our educational (laughs) goals are, but it's one of those things where honestly, you just kind of think, I mean, we talk about these things in education. We want, students to be resilient. We want them to continue to uh, persevere when they don't understand something. We want them to engage in all of these behaviors. And then we set up systems that completely negate those sort of verbal statements. All or nothing testing. Right. How is someone going to learn that it's okay to make a mistake when they are going to get a bad grade when they do? Right. So you can't actually both penalize a lack of understanding at the same time that you're trying to cultivate a growth mindset. <laughs> though, though, just to circle back to story, yeah. in some ways that does happen in story. In some ways, you, your, the character, the protagonist gets slammed by their limitations, but powers on and grows They power them. on at the end. They power most of the way through, they're powered on by the thing they want, right? Rather than what they need. Mm -hmm. They want something. They think they're going to get something by engaging in some behavior. And then they hit that low point and they are able to differentiate what they need from what they want. We have a tragedy when they fail to persevere in what they now know, right? So they now know this thing, and so, you know, everything is sad because they fail. When you say, I don't want people to give up, I want them to persevere in the face of what they understand and what their challenges are, there can't be tragedies. Because the consequences of tragedies are so significant that... To fail means to have your opportunities cut off. And that's what's supposed to happen before you hit the low point, right? You're cutting off all of those things. And the low point is your opportunity to say, is this who I want to be? Right? So, and just to clarify for people who aren't, say, in our class or haven't (laughs) listened to many back episodes. uh, so, So the low point is toward the end of the story, like the end of the second act, in a sort of traditional, so sort of three quarters of the way through, your characters hit their low point. They're isolated. The consequences of their flaw, their limiting belief in your preferred language, uh, the consequences of that have stacked up, isolated them, put everything in jeopardy, and they have to kind of really learn this deep lesson and then go forward and put that into play in the final battle. Right. And imagine if you put a protagonist into a story who had no idea 
why they were supposed to do what they were being tasked with. Right. You're in a Kafka-esque environment, right? Mm. That's sort of the definition of what it is to be in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Because Uh. a lot of kids don't understand why they're being asked to learn math or why they're being asked to learn earth science when what they want to do is play with chemistry because earth science is boring and you know so there's these different pieces if you don't understand why even if it's because it's something you personally think will gain you something you're gonna feel like you're in this weird futile early 20th century industrial environment which actually reminds me of a video we just saw on the new york times website which i'll link to yes about um productivity what did they call it they called it um Anyway, and in some ways, it's actually it's sort of a spoof on the gamification of life mm-hmm. taken to an extreme. So, well, productivity, yes, and all of those great people who want to, and you know, we're, it's it's so easy to think, oh, if I here's this technique, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, I I think of life in a gamified way sometimes. I don't actually think it's bad because I think there's a lot of things missing in our world right now where so much is so easy mm. for us to have. Privilege. And at the same time, we need struggle. We actually are designed to have struggle. And that's why we have children. Yes. Um, (laughs) We're designed to have and engage with struggle. And when you've removed it, you've really removed people's own sense of self-mastery. And I think gamification is a way that people are trying to recapture that which is that we have these rites of passage and they're called leveling up, (laughs) right? Okay, that's going to be the title here, leveling up. It is time for... Steal this. Amateur poets borrow... Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? Well, I have been re-listening to... Well, actually, B.J. Fogg had a book out a while ago called Tiny Habits, and he's come out with another one called Tiny Habits. Wait, really? They're both, they have the same name? I think so. I can't tiny, remember what the original one. Tiny, tiny Habits. Tiny Habits. Tinier Habits. Anyway, one of the things that he was talking about was sort of when things go wrong and we want to analyze kind of each piece. Why did something go differently than we expected it to? And the example he gives is, you know, your daughter wants to borrow the car and then you have some errands you need to run and you need her to go pick up some poster board. I don't have a daughter, so this is completely hypothetical. It's his example. Anyway, and so she comes home and she's like, ah, I forgot the poster board. And, you know, most parents' response is like, oh, my God, you're so, like, irresponsible. Or, you know, I really needed this. And I can't believe you did this. And next time you wanted to borrow the car, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, we go through all of these things. And and what I loved about this insight was that we were actually trying to motivate the kid to do something differently. And what he's saying is, like, when you have an action and it doesn't go the way you want it to, don't start with motivation. Or or with what you think might motivate them, which is yelling <laughs> at them and disparaging right. them, which motivates but even, all of us. Even if My it was favorite. like, even if it was like, why didn't you want to get the poster? <laughs> like you wouldn't start there, right? right? That's not where to start. The place to start actually is the prompt, right? Did you have something that would remind you to pick it up? And sometimes that doesn't exist, right? And so we're sitting there and we're talking to ourselves about like, why didn't we write today? Do you have a reminder up? Do you have something 
that tells you you made this commitment to write? Do you have a prompt that comes up from your phone and tells you now is the time? Okay, like maybe, maybe not. Right. Well, I mean, because what we find when we do, for example, online writing retreats, mm -hmm. people love it. They're so happy to be there. They get so much done. They can't believe it. And what it is, is that they have the sort of prompt. Well, here's the second piece of what it is. The second prompt piece is that you have the ability. Mm. So the truth was, let's say in that example, the child didn't come home with a poster board. Uh, In his story, it ends with them putting a post-it note on the car and so she remembers it the next day right but let's say she has a post-it note and she still forgot well where's the ability meaning not is this person individually capable but do they have so many things happening Mm -hmm. in the day that it's not realistic to expect that person to be able to do that right so you have these different components that aren't just motivation and you have to kind of balance those things to try and find out uh you know How hard is it to get started? And with writing, it's really hard to get started both internally and externally. So what's happened when you're in a situation like the writing retreat is you've created not just a prompt, but you've also created an environment where doing other things is actually going to be harder than doing the writing. And I think it's easier to tell other people, oh, I'm busy meeting with this group than it is to say I'm sitting off in a corner by myself writing so I'm unavailable to you. Right. So the ability challenge has dropped. So you have a prompt, you have lots of ability. And at that point, it almost doesn't matter what your motivation is. Because you have built all of these other pieces into place that will allow you to then get the thing done. Right. So and then I think the joy in it is it kind of reflects the motivation. Oh, I really want to be doing this right, when, right. once I've got those other pieces in place. Well, that is very cool. Mm-hmm. That is very cool. Um, I'm just thinking about the election. Oh, boy. Yes. And um, how fired up people are right now. Mm-hmm. So it kind of circles back to gamification. Okay. I mean, it's interesting because in our last episode with when we talked to Aya – uh, we talked about football. I talked about football because mm-hmm. it, um, it was near that whole thing, and being the Super <laughs> the Bowl, the Super Bowl, and um, and just the, the sort of story, you know. And again, very simple story, right? So, I think it's interesting how once this became sort of a race where you could measure things, like you know what I mean, like the the sort of the shot went off and the people started running and you could see where, you know, you could start seeing where people were, were. And in, Nate Silver or, popped up and 538. And, but I mean, mostly it's like you see, you know, you can see, you can sort of see what's happening and, and it, I, it really has engaged people in all mm-hmm. kinds of ways. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, Russia's helping and all that. <laughs> in case people are fired up. Talking about making a story. Yeah. So um, anyway, I, what I want to, Steel is engagement, mm-hmm. optimism, mm-hmm. taking action. And I want to steal these from politics to take them to story and vice versa. And let's make this happen, people. Woohoo!